Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. We officially launched as a church four years ago. Um, amen. That's exciting. Uh, you know, I moved here June of four years ago, and while my mom was battling terminal cancer, um, we were meeting and planning the launch of Thrive Church, and we just believed and prayed. Eight of us met in the middle here on Wednesdays. That's all our Wednesday was, and we prayed, and we said, God, please do something here in our midst. And so it's awesome to see what God has done in our midst at both locations. So next week's going to be a week of celebration. I'm excited about it. Um, this week, we're actually in week two of Once Upon a Marriage. If you were here last week. Hopefully you enjoyed the breakdown of Jacob, uh, Leah, and Rachel. This week we're going to look at Ahab and Jezebel. Go ahead and turn to your copy of God's Word to 1 Kings 21-25. 1 Kings 21-25. Let's let's just be honest in church this morning. How many of you ladies in here would say that in ho- at your home, you want things done a certain way? And just be honest in here, right? You want the, the, the towels have to be folded a certain way, right? Not any way, a certain way. Maybe there has to be vacuum marks done the right way. You've got to clean under the, the lamp, right? You want things done a certain way. How many of you can go a step further and say sometimes you can probably be a little nitpicky because of that? Any, any, any women be honest in here, right? Okay, good. We've got a lot of honesty happening in church today. And maybe your husband will even call you controlling. Well, how many of you husbands in here would say at work, maybe you're a take charge person, you get the job done, you make decisions, but at home, maybe you're a little passive. Maybe at home, you're just not really the leader you probably need to be. And I'm raising my hand there because that's what I do. And there's areas that I don't even lead in. And what we're going to look at today, and this is a very specific uh, topic, is one of the age-old problems in many marriages. And this may be your marriage day. It may not be your marriage day. Let me say this, though. Women, you get a disclaimer. So when you start giving me pickle juice face while I'm preaching, you know what that is? It's not the smiles you're giving now. Men, there are some things they need to nitpick you to death on. Quit overdrafting your account. It's costing your family a lot of money. Quit running credit cards up. Um, There are certain things they need to. But in marriages, one of the common themes that we see and one of the problems we see is we usually see the passive husband and the controlling wife. The passive husband and the controlling wife. And in today's scripture, we're going to see that very thing. We're going to look at Ahab and Jezebel. Now, Ahab was one of the strongest political and military leaders that Israel ever had. For 20 years, he reigned as king. And even though he was very strong politically and in the military realm in Israel as their king, he was very passive at home. And so his wife stepped in to take over. Her name was Jezebel, and her name means where is Baal? No, not like Baal, not like ringing a bell, but Baal, all right? Like Baal, right? Um, and so if you know what that is, that's a demon god. And so she came from a family that served demon gods. And so he married her, and she did not follow the Lord. And what scripture says about Ahab is he did the most evil of any king in the history of Israel. But here's the thing, he didn't do it alone. And I want you to look at 1 Kings 21, 25. It says, no one else completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight. That's a pretty impressive statement, right? As Ahab did under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. 
And like I said, what we're going to look at today is passivity in husbands. That we have the tendency sometimes in our fallen nature to, to, to shrink back to that. And then sometimes the controlling nature of some wives. Not all of you. Don't look at me like that in here. And we're going to look at their marriage and maybe this helps yours out. Maybe it doesn't. At any rate, you will get some good laughs from this passage. The first person we're going to look at is Ahab, the passive husband. And some backdrop here before I jump into it is that Ahab wanted this vegetable garden um, from Naboth's vineyard. I want you to watch what happens with this here. It says in 1 Kings 21 verse 2, Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use as a vegetable garden since it is very close to my palace. Now let's pause for a second. This is a, probably a wine vineyard of some sort. He wants a vegetable garden. First thing you notice is he has a chick thing going on, right? He wants a vegetable garden. Every guy is allowed one chick thing. Just one. Some of you are all laughing, but some of you men have more hair product. You have enough hair product, you could kill a cow with it. Some of you men have tons of shoes, right? Ladies going, yeah. Some of you men like manicures, and just because the word name man is in it doesn't mean there's anything manly about it, right? I'd rather be bludgeoned to death by a UFC fighter than get a manicure. I bite my fingernails, I have ugly toenails, and I tell my wife, that's the man in me. <laughs> he wanted a vegetable garden. I love HGTV, home and garden. That's I love interior decorating. I love design, and I love to plant flowers. I love to mow my grass and make sure it's perfect. Man, I get the edger out. And, uh, I get the. I mean, I do. I love it. I just live for that. I can't wait this week to mow my grass. I will pray this evening that some of your husbands get that anointing on them that they just are excited about doing that. Um, but I, man, that's my thing. That's my my chick thing. You're allowed one. If you have more than one, we we'll have a prayer team at the end of service ready to pray for you and help you with that. So Ahab wants his vegetable garden. So here's what he says. He says, in exchange, I will give you a better vineyard or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, I love this, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my father. So let's just pause for a second there because there's a side sermon that I don't have a lot of time to get into. Um, since I'm not traveling both campuses today, I am going to chase this rabbit for a second. I know I'm chasing a rabbit. I can see the rabbit. I will kill the rabbit and get back on track. Here's the thing. Ahab represents a lot of times Satan in our life and we've been given an inheritance from God. God has given us our family. He's given us this job. He's given us our children. He's given us things. And Satan's always trying to make you compromise to give up what God has given you. And you've got to fight for that. Naboth fought to the death saying, I will not give up what my fathers gave me as an inheritance. And sometimes you've got to fight for the very thing that the enemy wants to destroy in your life. And that may even be your marriage today. You've got to fight for it. And verse 4 says this, when Naboth said, I won't give it to you. Look at verse 4. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. Ahab lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. Whiny baby. <laughs> I couldn't get my vegetable garden. And he just laying on the bed. I mean, picture this is the king of Israel. He takes over nations militarily and politically. And he's laying on the bed, refusing to eat and crying like a big baby. Can we just be real about men? Here's how men are. If men can't win, men don't want to play. Right? 
the, the, whoever made, I think a woman made up, it's not how you play the game, it's not whether you win or lose, how you play the game. I think a woman made that up, because that's not true, is it, man? We want to win. How many of you can be like, yeah, you know, I'm glad my team is 0-16. We've just had, just, we've just played hard this year. I'm so excited. None of you will. You'll be like, I can't stand, I mean, I'm so upset with my team losing. But if, if a man can't win at something, he doesn't want to play, and he gets upset, he lays down, he's crying, and, and, and it's the same way in marriage. Let me just give you this side point. If a man feels like he can't win in marriage and win in leading and, and really do well at that, guess what? He's not going to do it. Eventually, he's going to shrink back and not lead as God has given him the role to lead if he feels like he can't win in that. Uh, case in point, that's why I don't play golf. I played for several years. I grew up playing golf. I hadn't played in a long time. I was going to tell you something. I'm not spending three or four hours of my day at something I'm terrible at. <laughs> right? If I'm not good at it, I'm going to find something I'm good at and I'm going to play that instead. And it's the same way when it comes to life. If a man can't win at something, sometimes he's like, you know what? I don't even want to do it if I can't win. So he's crying. He's, oh, he's laying on the bed. Picture that. So here's what happens. His wife has an opportunity. I want you to watch the interaction between Jezebel and Ahab. And she represents the controlling wife. Now look here. Verse 5. 1 Kings 21. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? I mean, that's why I kind of picture that voice, right? <laughs> she just mean at him. <laughs> he answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard or I'll refer, I'll give you another vineyard in this place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Remember, he's crying on the bed. I'm trying to give you dramatic effect here. And Jezebel, his wife said, is this how you act over king of Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get the vineyard of Naboth, uh, the Jezreelite, quote unquote, myself. She just takes over. And can I share something with you ladies in here? Just like Ahab, that's a part represents a lot of men. We're really insecure. We want to pose as strong men who have it together. Man, we got it going on. But a lot of times we're very insecure people. Right, men? We have insecurities in our life. And many times um, in our life, those insecurities cause us to act certain ways. See, God sent Eve as a helpmate to Adam. God knew Adam was not good by himself. And God sent that help. If you're married in here today, that, that, let me tell you something. That's why God brought you together. And women, let me tell you something. You have an opportunity with your husband every day the same way Jezebel had an opportunity with her husband that day. We're very insecure. We're very weak. We want to make like we're strong and we've got it all together and we have that. Listen, men have fears. Men have deficiencies. Men have uh, things that they're, they're worried about. And you have power. You've got the power. <laughs> Some of you got that. <laughs> and, he, and here's where it is. Listen, a godly woman will make a weak man strong. But a controlling, nagging wife will make a weak man weaker. You have an opportunity to make a weak man strong. Or you can make a weak man weaker. And that's what Jezebel did. She had the opportunity to make the weak man weaker. Now, how would she do this? And, you, and you're going to see this in your life many times. And, and some of this is going to be hard to swallow. It's like grandma's medicine. It didn't taste good. It hurt going down, but it fixed you. The same way it would be with these scriptures here. Um, here's how she did this. 
The first thing she did was she belittles her husband with her words. I want you to watch this here in verse 7, the first part of it. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act over king of Israel? She shows him all that he's not. Now, there are times you're going to have arguments, right? There's times you've got to correct your husband. My wife corrects me all the time. It's okay. There are times for that. But there are other times when you intentionally go after your husband and you want to take him down. And she goes, she belittles him. You have a choice to build up or belittle with your words in a marriage. You have a choice to do that. She chooses to belittle him. And it's really hard, especially if a man faces criticism at work and then comes home and feels like he can't win at work, he can't win at home, he can't win anywhere. It takes the win out of his cells. Like, my wife is, is really a saint. Um, you guys don't know this, but she serves on staff at Thrive. Doesn't get paid a dollar. She's my personal psychologist. <laughs> and the chair that I sit in, and, and believe me, I, I know this, and, and this is just part of what I do. I face a lot of criticism. Face a lot of criticism from, from all different directions. And there's constantly, I tell you, the, I tell, I tell you what, what most people say to me, you're not good enough. And that's how I tell you, you're just not good enough. You're not good enough for me. You're not good enough for my family. You're not good enough. Now, I have to go, I grew up as a child. That's how I felt for my father. So I have to make sure that I'm dealing with that in a healthy way, right? Because I'm constantly facing criticism um, from what I do here. So my wife is able to build me up when I go home. She's able to say, honey, you're doing a great job. Honey, that, that, that's not valid. Sweetheart, I believe in you. I know you can do this. You're doing awesome. Let me tell you something. I enjoy um, hearing you preach. I enjoy seeing you do what you do. I enjoy seeing you in your element. She has a chance to build up or belittle. And the same way in all relationships, you have the same choice to build up or belittle. There's a story of a pastor, and, and there's, there's a man who came to him for counseling. It wasn't this church anywhere near here. Um, that he was asking about how to have help to lead his family spiritually. So I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel good enough. And here's the advice that the pastor gave him. He said, look, you need to pray this simple prayer with your wife. You start leading spiritually. You just pray with her. You say, God, bless our family. God, let us honor you in all that we do and help us to serve you with all of our strength in Jesus' name. And so he memorizes this prayer. He's memorizing it because you know, most men are not good verbal with communication, right? We're better with our hands, working, things like that. So he goes home and he prays this prayer with his wife. And she looks at him and says, what type of pitiful prayer was that? That was all of seven seconds. You think God don't answer something like that? And she goes back to the, he goes back to the pastor and tells him. And the pastor said he wanted to cry because she literally took the wind out of his sails. She had the chance to build him up or belittle him, and she belittled him with her words. And my heart breaks when I hear things like that. Here's what you need to do, women. Here, here's some free advice. You ready? She should have laid one on him. She should have kissed him and like, baby, that's the best prayer I've ever heard. My God, you're a man of God. I'm going to tell you something, nothing like a man of God that will pray with me. I don't care if it's seven seconds or 70 seconds. Woo, baby, I love that. 
You know what that man's going to do? He's going back to the pastor and he's going to be like, teach me more prayers. Please, teach me how to pray. Prayer conferences. Give me prayer Bibles, prayer books. But whatever reward is rewarded is repeated. But whatever you um, begin to destroy and tear down with, with, that's what they'll stop doing. Whatever is rewarded. Well, men are like little dogs. I mean, like, you know, you just scratch your something. Oh, good job. Like, oh, you know, we're the same way. You've got to encourage your husband. Whatever's rewarded is repeated. And Jezebel belittled him with her words. Uh, listen to me. Uh, a man has never crawled out of constant complaining a better man. You better be careful saying amen to that. <laughs> Talking to Alan, our youth pastor. <laughs> well, um, we, have, we, have, we have actually marital counseling cards that, uh, this week, Alan, so you can get those on the way out. <laughs> but it's just that a man has never crawled out of constant nagging and complaining a better man, but he has crawled out of encouragement a better man. When you encourage the good things that he does as a father and a husband um, there. I, I have a saying in leadership, and we apply this here at Thrive, every 10, rebu- every 10 encouragements you get one rebuke. Every 10 encouragements you get one rebuke. You can't go around rebuking people all the time and then encourage them. They, they won't listen. They'll think you're just a jerk, right? And so in the same way, in relationships or in leadership or a job, wherever you're at, it takes for every 10 encouragements you get chance to have one correction or one rebuke. And you got to do the same thing, whether you're coaching a football team or a basketball team or whatever you're doing, there's got to be more encouragement than there is rebuking. You have a chance to belittle or build up. Here's the second thing she did. Not only did she belittle her husband with her words, but she takes over. And don't worry, wife, this gets better for you later, right? This, we're talking about Jezebel now and some of you are upset with me. Um, but she takes over. She says, I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And what she's saying is, since you can't do it, I'll do it myself. There's two seats in the front of a car, right? There's a driver and there's the passenger. In our life, when I first met my wife, she's a very competent, independent, do-it-herself person. Her mom, you know, raised three kids by herself, so I don't need no man for nothing. That's that whole, you know, idea with that. And so when I came on, I was like, I'll wash your car for you. If you can wash my car, I'll wash it myself. I'll drive. I'll drive. I got it. I'm good. Now, I drive everywhere. She never drives. I mean, the most competent woman in the world loses the ability to drive a vehicle when I step in the same vehicle with her. It's amazing. I don't know what type of disease this is. I'm just trying to research it online. I haven't found anything on WebMD yet, but she does that. You know why she does that? And here's what she does too, man. She, she will actually put her feet up on the dashboard. And like leave dirt on my dashboard. That's true love and marriage because I'm a neat, clean freak. I'm like trying to clean and trying to get that stuff off. But here's the deal. And it's funny, like you know, whenever she was uh, pregnant, she would drive up from work and she'd be driving. And I would try to get to the passenger side door before she could get out and run around. So now she would hop her little pregnant butt over one seat to the other so she wouldn't have to drive to the restaurant we were going to. <laughs> but here's how that happens. Let me tell you how that happens. There's two seats. There's a driver and a passenger. The more you take over in a marriage, the more you take over, the less the other person wants to lead. And women, sometimes you just got to, you can't just take over. You got to let us men, as, as bad as we are at certain things, step into that godly role that God's called us to. I mean, it, it could be certain things like this. I mean, maybe it's not, you know, driving things. But this. Maybe it's like the kids, dressing the kids, Right? You give him the responsibility to dress the children. And he brings them in and they're all mismatched. 
what in the world? These kids, I'm, I'm dressing myself. And you go in and you dress the kids. I'm not dressed. You know, I'll take it. Guess what he'll do? He won't dress them anymore. Maybe it's vacuuming and the lines have got to have the little V's at the end and crossed over. And you're like, you know, you go, well, I'll just do it myself. These washcloths are not folded right. You idiot. I'll fold them myself. This isn't, I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it myself. And the more you step in the driver's seat, the more your husband will become passive and step in the passenger seat. So you got to figure out where do I want him in the passenger seat at and where do I want him driving. You got me? That makes sense. Where do I want him driving and where do I want him in the passenger seat? Where you want him driving, you encourage him, you give him opportunities. You say, no, I'm not praying over the meal. You're praying. The Bible says you're the head of the house. You're going to pray. And when he prays, he says, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Right? And then he'll keep driving. But maybe you don't want him folding washcloths. Maybe he is terrible like I am at it. I don't think there's any, I just, I don't know. I just throw, I mean, you know what? None of my, none of my clothes are like folded. I just put them on hangers and throw them in or they're all put into a drawer somewhere. My wife, it's like, you just do that. So you got to figure out where do you want him to drive and then where do you want him to be in the passenger seat at with that. Now here's the deal. Some of you women in here are type A personalities by nature, right? You're get it done people. I love those ladies on staff. We have two ladies on staff that are type A. Bonnie Conrad, who's our kids director, amen. She is get it done. Right? Get out of the way or get it, you know, I'm going to get it done. Uh, Lauren Rogers, our worship leader, you saw in the video. She's a get it done girl. And those are great to have on staff. And my wife is a type A personality. So I'm not picking on anybody in here or, or, or those things. Understand that. Um, or maybe you're a very detailed person, personality. But what you have to do is you have to figure a way to let your husband lead. And, and, and here's some things you got to do. Let him lead. Encourage him. Don't always take over. And you got to pray for him. Because here's, here's the deal. God has called the man to lead in the home. He's got to be that, that person who does what God's called him to do. Listen, you don't have to ask a tiger or teach a tiger to hunt, do you? Right? You don't have to teach a fish to swim, do you? You don't have to teach a woman to nag, do you? I'm joking. I'm joking. That was a joke. I'm totally joking. The ladies are taking it hard today. <laughs> But the husband's call is to lead. And I want to speak to the men just for a few minutes in here about the call to lead that Ahab did not do in his home. And here's your call to lead. First of all, God calls you to be the provider. The provider, you can write that in your notes, the provider. Now, I do not mean, check back in with me here, and do not be tweeting that I said something that I didn't. Um, that does not mean that you're supposed to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. That's not what I mean, Right? A wife can be a significant tr contributor or the contributor for the home. My wife makes more money than I do. That's why I'm pastoring. Thank God for her. But here's where you can provide that, husband. You are called to provide stability for your home. You are called to provide stability for your home. And here's what that means. Maybe financially, you're going to provide an environment where you're not going to be chasing the Joneses and being all types of debt. No, no, no. We're not, go we're not doing that. We're going to save for our child's education. We're going to put back into retirement. We're going to save money and have money in savings because recessions come. Don't be shocked. Every seven years they hit. And that's the way that, that we're going to do this because I love my family and I'm going to lead that way. You've got to be a provider in that sense for them. You're responsible to set the tone of your home. Here's the second 
called to lead, the protector. Now, some of you men in your mind just thought, I've got these concealed weapons in my home and the permit is ready for them and I'm ready for somebody to break in and I'm going to Rambo them. So some of you men are thinking. Some of you got those things, those, those things the knights used to use, you know, I mean, all types of weapons and like, you know, you're just ready to, yeah, I'll be the protector. You come in my home, I'll take you out. That's not what I'm saying. As the protector of the home, you're to protect your family from the influences of a fallen world around them. I remember my, my friend was doing kids ministry one day and we were talking the next day afterwards while parents were worshiping in the sanctuary and seven-year-olds were watching horror movies called Saw. And they were talking about these movies of people being mutilated and what they watched last night with their parents. Dads, that shouldn't happen in your home, not under your watch. You're not watching that garbage. Listen, violence, a kid that's under the age of five, violence destroys their ability to learn. You let them watch a bunch of killing and fighting and things like that, and you're destroying. You've got to protect your family from that. Protect them from the fallen things of this world and say, not in our home. In our home, I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to make sure that they're not exposed to that. I'm going to protect our our family from those things that could damage or hurt our family. I'm going to protect my wife's heart. I'm going to protect them from dangers and temptations. You've got to set the tone for your family and love them enough to do that. I didn't have that type of dad in my life. I was watching, you know, terrible things at eight years old. Terrible things at eight years old. And you have a chance as the husband and the father to set the tone for your home. And here's the third way that a husband has to lead. And do not check out on me. You got to be the pastor. Now women are thinking, yes, inductive Bible studies and revelation for the next 38 weeks. I can't wait. (laughs) That's not what that means. So there's very, men are not articulate to begin with. We're not very good at communicating where our brains aren't wired that way. And so for us to have to try to articulate and go through and teach our families about the Bible, it is intimidating and it's scary, okay? That's not what being the pastor of your home means, but here's what it does mean for you. You set the spiritual tone in your home. We're going to be positioned in our home to hear from God. We're going to pray around meals together. We're going to thank God for the blessing on our life that he's given us. We are going to, as a family, be in church together. Wednesday nights, our students will be in student ministry together. Listen, I hate to break it to you, but little Billy and little Susie are not going to make it professionally playing soccer. (laughs) And the travel teams need to fill their roster. (laughs) They're not going to make it professionally as a travel baseball player. I'm just telling you. It's better to to make sure, listen, to make sure that your kids are in the house of God. And listen, if you do have to travel and do sports, listen to me. You can still honor God. This morning at breakfast, before we go out and play games, we're going to do a devotion. We're going to sit together, we're going to pray, and, and, or we're going to listen to a podcast, or we're going to watch a video sermon. We are going to set the spiritual tone for our home. As the pastor of uh, 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 fathers and men in here, you've got to set the spiritual tone for your home. It's simple things you can do. You can do this, men. God will empower you. I know it's scary. I know it's frightening, but God will empower you to do this. And if you haven't done this, just be consistent. I guarantee that if you'll step up and lead, she'll be glad that you step up and lead. A lot of wives want that. 
If they're godly women, they want you to lead because that's what the role God's given you. And you may not be good at it. You may be terrible at those things. Step up and do it. Now, here's the deal. Here's what happens. Jezebel goes to get Naboth and accuse him of cursing God and the king. And her plan was, you want that vineyard? I'm going to get it for you. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to have that guy killed. Naboth did nothing wrong. This is really a sad story for his part. So Jezebel goes in, in her own accord. She makes a plan to kill Naboth. But I want you to watch what happens here. Who does God hold accountable? Not Jezebel. Look at this here. Verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death... It doesn't mean marijuana stoned to death. It just means they're physical stones. There's young people in here that they don't, they, they don't know that language. She said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. And look at verse 17 here. This is where you see Elijah step in the picture. We did a series on him a few years ago. Um, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel. And say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? So he's telling the man. Now he did to Jezebel. He went to Ahab. And look at this. This is what the Lord says to you. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dog will lick up your blood, blood, yes, yours. Some of you women think that I was hard on you. (laughs) Men, let me tell you something. You hold responsibility and God will hold you and I accountable for our homes. Now you may say, and let me just say this, some of you are sitting here and saying, man, I have just made some terrible mistakes in my past, right? Some of you are saying, I don't feel like I'm worthy, I've made some mistakes, I'm just not, forget the past, do you hear me? God forgives and cleanses all of our sins and iniquities, you hear me? Forget what happened in the past for you. From this day forward, you have a chance to step up and be consistent. You may say, man, I made some bad decisions with my family and my kids aren't following God. It's okay. You know what? As you step up and you're consistent, they're going to look at you and they're going to look to you. You have a chance from this day forward to step up and push back passivity and lead. You may want to have the conversation with your wife. You know, and this is something that the Lord really has sparked in my heart as I was studying this this week, is asking her, where, where can I step up and lead better, you think, for our family? What are some areas you think I could do better in? That's a dangerous question, isn't it? Because it holds you accountable. And it means that you've got to step up in some areas. But you may want to ask your wife, what do you need specifically from me? And what can I do better? Where do you think I'm failing as a husband? I've asked my wife that before. One of the areas I failed in, guys, I put pans that you cook on the stove with in the dishwasher. And they were like $400 pans and it ruined them. That stuff that's on there that you need to put, it protects it, ruined. They all rusted. (laughs) 
she can start by doing that better. She told me that. So um, from this day, from that day forward, I have, I have not met. Our pans are still in good shape. I hand wash them um, every night. Now I'm saying that, and I use a little humor there, because from this day forward, you can. There are certain areas your wife's hoping that you lead in. And don't take it as you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that. You are giving your wife permission to allow you to lead. Leading is not having your wife make food for you and clean your clothes. She's not your servant, she's not your mama. And women said, leading is serving her. Leading is loving her. Leading is figuring out in her life, how can I serve you better as a husband? How can I step up in that role? I'm, I'm thankful for my wife. She is working today. She can't be here. She works every other Sunday because we have literally followed the call of God with, with just reckless abandon in a good way. We went and planted a church with no money, had nothing. I was working a job where I made nothing. Couldn't take any. We didn't have, we had three people in our church. So, Tithing was, I couldn't afford the cookies we fed people at our meetings. It was rough. She said, I'll follow you. We decided to come to Virginia four years ago. Started with a part-time salary. She had a job for three months. We literally lived off credit cards. People don't know that. We had no money. No way to make it. I said, baby, we'll have a job in three months and we're going to work ourselves out of this. And we lived off credit cards and went in debt. Just we could follow the call of God. Now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them on credit cards again. We just got the circus paid off two years ago. But whenever I've said, I really believe the Lord is leading us in this direction. My wife is a type A personality. She's a dominant leader. She'll, she'll say, you know what? Lead and I'll follow. Lead and I'll follow. And that's why we're here today. And I'm so thankful for that. You have no clue, wives, as I was just really harsh on the husbands, how much of a role you play in their life. And if, if a man is successful in any terms, it's because he had a wife that's allowed him to lead and encouraged him to lead. Amen. I want to pray for us today um, in this place. You will pray with me. Father, we literally just lay ourselves down before you today. There's no marriage in this place that are perfect. I know, Father, there's people in here that are feeling like, man, they're feeling guilt and they're feeling conviction. But God, I pray today that you would convince them of the righteousness that you've given them. I pray for couples today to open up conversations they've never had, to be mature in the things of God. I pray today, Lord, that you would help us to follow you in here. I want to first pray in, in this place today for, for the women in here. Whether you're married or you're not, I want to pray for you right where you're at today. Father, I pray for the ladies in here. We see a terrible example of a wife in Jezebel, but we also see the antithesis in her story of a wife who can encourage her husband. I pray right now, Lord, that if there's wives in here today that their husbands aren't leading, they don't, they don't care, not even, maybe not even church with them, I don't know. But I pray you would encourage the women in here today, Lord. I pray that you would help empower them to be encouraging, to figure out this whole and navigate this whole crazy thing of allowing her husband to lead in areas that she really is scared in. I pray if the, if the husband has broken trust that, Lord, there will be a mending of trust once again in that relationship. I pray today that your grace would empower every woman in here, Lord. 
Father, I pray right now for the men. I want to pray for all the guys in here today. That it's always a tough swallow when you have to hear about leading. We're wired to lead, but we're scared to lead in certain areas. We may be really good in our business, but God, we're scared when it comes to praying with our children. We may be really good at leading in one area, but scared, Lord, to share scriptures with our family. We may be really good at leading at church, but we don't lead at home. Father, I ask today that you would strengthen every man in here, that you would help every man in here, Lord, every man in here to relinquish control and to live for you, to step up, Lord, in the areas that you're calling them to. And I pray that there'll be restoration in marriages where there's a, a gap in those marriages. You would bring them closer together by your power, by your might, and by your grace, God. And finally, today as we're praying, and, and there's, there's no one looking around, I just want to, there's some people in here today that, that you're saying, Kevin, I need to lay my life down. I need to surrender my life to Christ. I'm trying to be controlling by controlling my life. I'm scared to give up control to God. I'm scared to give my life to the Creator. I'm scared to surrender my life to Jesus. Some of you here today know that this is the day that you are to surrender and lay yourself down to the Lord. You came in to thrive today knowing this was the day that you give your life to Jesus. That you let him become Lord of your life. You let him empower you because you can't do any of this without the help of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit. In here today, if you would be honest and say, Kevin, I need Jesus and I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. Just lift your hand to heaven. It's just between me, you, and God. I want to receive Christ as my Savior today. I want to know Jesus. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. I see that hand over there. Amen. Anybody else? That's me today. It's time to lay it down for the Lord. Right where you're sitting, I want to pray for you. And, and you, can, you can pray this prayer after me. As a matter of fact, if all of you want to pray with me, you can do that too. But it's a confession of faith. Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10 says, If we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And so today is your first step by just confessing that. And here's what you want to pray. You say, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I make Jesus the Lord of my life today. I relinquish control of my life to him. I accept the forgiveness of sins. Today I know that I'm a new creation. Because Jesus, by way of the Holy Spirit, has come to live in me and make me new. Today... I commit to Jesus as being the Lord of my life. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. 